Hello, and you're listening to the Pressing Matters podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Hyde, and I'm joined by Toby Puisever, who is our resident football expert. That's a bit of an outrageous claim there, Sam, but thank you very much. You're too kind. Football fan, is that better, or...? I suppose we can uh, wait and see. I think we should. We can decide part way through. We'll, we'll see what you come out with. Uh, it, it is, of course, the World Cup at the moment. Uh, how have you been finding it so far, Toby? Uh, it is indeed, it is indeed, and we are currently in the middle of a game, which makes me feel exactly like John Motson, but um, uh, I've been enjoying it, I am having withdrawals at the moment, because two games a day, you know, isn't enough. I'm missing the 10 o'clock actually, that was um, quite a nice thing to put on in the morning. Uh, I think it helped me get out of bed to be quite honest, um, it's been nice, you know, working from home and having that continually a, co- a continuous stream that you get what like an hour's break from and then you get about 30 minutes added time anyway so uh talking about the added time wh- wh- how are you i don't know how are you how are you finding that uh yeah well the thing is like they say that um an actual game of football the ball is only in play for about 60 minutes don't they so um yeah. it is a weird kind of rule that they don't fully um commit to with the added time normally my thing on on this yeah they say what 50 to 60 minutes i think 60 is the average but it's been i don't know i think it depends who you watch if you're an atletico madrid fan then 60 is probably i don't know you're probably being treated to to 60 minutes right as much as i agree that um it needs to be reviewed right i i see what they're doing with like ridiculous minutes added on well ridiculous compared to what we know right but you can't just stop the clock all the time because um there's different types of time wasted there's time wasted by the game and time wasted by the players and there was uh i can't remember his name but the old italian ref the classic ref the everyone loves him because he's screaming in people's faces ref (laughs) You know, Pierluigi Colina. There we go. Thank you very much. Um, he was talking about that. He was talking about time wasted by the game, and I think um, it's not a dangerous thing, but it's a. Um, you can't just stop the clock every time it goes out for a throw-in because then you're going to be playing ridiculous minutes, or or you'd have to then trial playing for just sixty minutes, which I think would look. I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see how different that looks. Um, he was on the cover of um, Pez, wasn't he? Remember? Yeah, yeah. The ref. Would you have liked to see Mike Dean uh, on a Pez? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's... That would just give me, give me trauma, I think. I, well, have I enjoyed the World Cup? I have enjoyed the World Cup. I have not enjoyed the refing at the World Cup, to be honest. Yeah, just one thing about the stoppage time. I think um, the problem at the moment with the World Cup is that you get to the end of the game and then... Uh, there was a point early on where suddenly it was uh, eight minutes and you felt like the players didn't really know whether it was going to be um, sort of three or four minutes as we've seen sometimes and sometimes it's gone up to like 11 minutes Um, so in terms of like the game management of that I think um, it's probably got to be quite hard for the players uh, having such a big range in the time of potential stoppage times. Yeah I think that's very true I think that also leads into maybe the main point on refs actually in lit- inconsistency it's that word that just comes through over and over again you see ronaldo's penalty given you see others which are exactly the same that aren't given um you know 
or, or there are some that are more Stonewall that, that are given. You see Messi's one that is given from Szczesny, um and others aren't. So I, I basically an identical situation. It's not given. Now look, that's always going to happen when you're looking at the profiles of players and things like that. What can you give? But that just shows, I don't know, human error and it shows the, well, what VAR should be stamping out. But we might go into... We might get heavy. It could be a heavy opening if we just talk about refs. It could just be that forever. Um, this this is one of the main problems that people seem to say when you talk to people that aren't the the craziest football fans, but people who follow it every week, is that they'll complain about how the VAR is being used. And I was talking to someone that I live with uh, yesterday, and they were talking about how VAR is used to go... Um, back in time quite far or um, you have these really tight offsides or you have these very minor coming togethers in the box that gave, gave them for penalties and uh, there just seems to be a lot of confusion from certain certain types of fans about all the VAR usage. No, I, I yeah, I completely understand what you're saying and I think also it's the, right, decisions are subjective, yeah, I get that, but the use of VAR seems to then also be subjective. I just don't see how you could ever get consistency from it. The only thing you can get consistency is, to be fair, the offsides in this World Cup, as like mind-bendingly excruciating as they have been at times, because it's so minuscule, at least something has like it is black and white, right? And that and. VAR use in the Prem as well should be that, but it, there's lines fudged together and all this. Like the the camera, the extra cameras, and and this new technology basically that's being trialed at this World Cup, it has been basically bang on it. But it does lead into a decision of or, or a conversation of where on the body should it be? You know. Yeah, I like. Um, I like the suggestion they're talking about stay at the Belgium game um there was one of the one of these um shirt sleeve offsides that was really really close and hard to judge but the technology seems to be working working well I think even if for the more old school football fan it can be a little bit frustrating yeah I think I would rather be frustrated because it's so accurate it's actually kind of it's like FIFA isn't it though you have these offsides in FIFA you know like you always have them yeah 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 and it's uh, yeah and it turns it into a video game-esque accuracy right and I mean we've all played FIFA and we all know that it's not accurate in many many areas but at least something as robotic as that it shouldn't be getting wrong should we talk about England? I think we need to move on before we uh, enter a wormhole of talking about refs for an hour. But uh, yeah, let's let's talk about England, Sam. Have have you been excited whilst watching England in the World Cup? That's what I'd like to know. Well, it's it's quite awkward, isn't it? Because uh, a lot of people spoke about Southgate's record going into the World Cup. You know, uh, didn't score for about five or six games wasn't it from open play um lost 4-0 to Hungary yeah and generally played quite boring football but uh first game comes out and scores six and everyone's thrilled 
immediately it um, sort of switches to the nil-nil with the USA and everyone's miserable again and then we beat Wales 3-0 and everyone's thrilled so it just seems to be like such different levels all the time with England um, it feels like in tournament football results are all that matters um, so it it depends how England go on in the future if it is pretty boring to watch Southgate's England a lot of the time especially the first half against Wales and the game against the USA yeah um, I think um, look if we do well we do well right that's just like the nature of tournament football it's it's yeah it doesn't matter if you play well and go out early it's, you know that's that's the truth of it. Whereas if you're, I suppose, in a league format, if you're subjecting, if you're a fan subjected to thirty eight a thirty eight game season of Southgate football, you've got more uh, reason to sort of demand better, right? Especially when you're not going to win the league with it anyway, right? Um, yeah. So that's that's. I wonder. Um, I wonder if fans of sort of the top six. Premier League teams or whatever have a, a more pessimistic about England than someone who supports, say, Oldham. Yeah. You know, top six fans are moving down in enjoyment watching England. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Everyone's experience is, is different. Everyone's, yeah, you're right. Everyone's, everyone's sort of journey and um, step to the national team, right? In the same way for the players, though, I guess, right? You're going from, like, being able to, I don't know, be Ben White and and Trent having the time of your life, crucial to open, expansive, attacking uh, football, and then you change to this. It's, it's the same for the fans if you support those two teams or if you support um, whoever else. That's... Obviously, if it's you know it's a different experience, I'm not saying that I'm I'm having the same experiences as Trent Alexander Arnold. Um, I reckon he's feeling more hard done by than me sitting at home just being slightly bored because Declan Rice hasn't been given the freedom to to kind of do what he wants in centre midfield. But yeah, you're spot on. It's where everyone's it's where it's where you're coming from and everyone's idea of how England play is gonna be compared against what they're watching all the time. And if you're a team if you're a fan watching a top six team, then then there's no doubt about it that this is boring, apart from maybe if you're I don't know, Chelsea. <laughs> you mentioned um Trent and Ben White. Um Ben White has um yesterday just been told that we yeah, we've been told that he's uh, left the squad due to personal reasons, but um, these were both two players that um, both absolutely loved by fans of top six teams and then can't seem to get into the England team at all. Um, Walker got ahead of um, Trent in the last game, which was when Trippy was rested. Uh, what do you make of all this? Yeah, I. so my thing with the Walker trip, right, my, my Walker over Trent against Wales, I was thinking about this. And I was thinking about this, I think there's two angles, right? You can see it as, look, Wales are going to sit deep and counter. So, therefore, we need somebody with the sort of arsenal of Trent Alexander-Arnold to to pick that apart, right? Um, that's how I would look at it. 
However, there is, I can see an argument to be made that the only threat Wales were going to have in that game is from, uh, you know, tra- transition to attack, winning the ball deep and breaking in behind with someone like Dan James's pace or, you know, Bale. I mean, I, honestly, I don't even know if Bale's quick anymore. He must be because he was, right? But is he? He doesn't play. He just plays golf. So who knows if, if he's really a threat in behind at this point. I suppose he could be. Um, no, <laughs> neither have I, which maybe, you know, maybe that's on us. I suppose it is on us, but, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change either. Although if LAFC sign the players that is being rumored, then, you know, maybe that'll, that'll quickly change. But anyway, um, so, so my, my point on, on Walker, when I got heavily distracted, but partly that was due to Costa Rica going to one up against Germany, um, would be that with with Walker, what he does reduce is, you know, a transitional threat from a counter-attacking team. Something that I think Trent does very well, to be quite honest. I think he's very good at pressing high and winning the ball high and defending in advanced areas. But the issue is that you remember the you remember the bad more than the good i think um and the bad costs goals so the bad is very bad so it gets remembered very you know clearly i think i think maybe southgate looked at it and thought you know their only threat they're not going to dominate possession wales their only threat is going to be when we lose the ball and we're you know more you know we're disorganized we're not in a in a shape to win the ball back, maybe, or, or if they can pick maybe two passes and find someone who's got a bit of time on the ball, then the early ball in behind is on. And maybe he's thinking Walker totally totally denies that. There's no there's no doubting that Pep's Man City are well the most the highest the most advanced positionally the most expansive team in in the league, and yet. Walker is very good at, at at defending a break. Um, I think maybe you looked at that to be quite honest, because I don't see how. Yeah, I think that's the angle, but I think that shows just just um, Southgate's approach. It's it's kind of like um, it's it's just it, well pragmatic. That's that's the word. It's just like oh, better to defend. In case we like have pick my right back who can defend the counter rather than pick my right back who's more ideal for breaking down this type of team. That's 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 where I stand on it. But if you're not going to play him in that game, when are you ever going to play Trent? He's like the yeah he's yeah. I think it's a bit scandalous, but I can see an argument for defending for for being better at defending counters with Walker and that being their only threat in the game. Uh, another player who hasn't played for England yet but probably because of the injury was uh, James Madison um, he feels like someone that you'd want to slot into this England team is that right instead of a Mason Mount someone a bit more creative yeah I think this is this is again traits of Southgate I think it's again just shows kind of how extreme he is on sort of trusting players that he's picked before I think 
what you see in the whole reason of why Maguire starts is is the same. I'm not saying Mount has done what Maguire has done in his club season, um, but he's clearly not really been. I don't know performing at, at the level that that you would you would want him to for. Yeah, there was a very good um, graphic on match of the day just before um, the World Cup squad was announced, which was showing uh, English players and their goal involvements uh, in 2022. Um, this is when Ivan Tony was um, second behind Harry Kane and then did make the squad. Is this when Ivan Tony also hadn't been done for betting on anything anything he could bet on? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is the uh, little asterisk you have to put on that. Yeah, uh, not sure what's going to come of that, obviously. But um, the point is, um, Mason Mount uh, was basically bottom of all the attack-minded players uh, behind Jack Grealish. Um, you had James Madison, who was also doing really, really well. Yeah, uh, Raheem Sterling was ahead of ahead of Mount. But I think it was something. It, it was a it was a much smaller amount of goals and assists than you'd expect from Mount uh, compared to how he'd been playing. Certainly, the season before. Yeah. Well, certainly, the year before that. But but I still think you know I, I Mount is an intelligent player. Um, he's a good presser. He's very energetic, um, and I do think he interprets space well. I think he is an intelligent player. But it's not like those things can't be said for the wealth of talent that England have in the squad. I just think, okay, but yeah. So so that would be my first point on that is that you know it's not like. Madison can't do a lot of those things. There, there are things that he doesn't do as well as as Mason Mount. Um, but when you look at the club form and, and you look at how they've been playing and things, and those involvements as you talk about, we we see all of this. And yet, at any point, did you doubt that Mason Mount would start the first the first game of the <laughs> of the tournament? I actually am naive enough to think that. It will change, right? Okay, but it won't, Sam. It won't because Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire is the is the is the evidence of it, right? But it but it's yeah. double standards. It really is. It's because I mean the quotes with Phil Foden not playing, you know, not coming off the bench, and Henderson coming off the bench instead against that U in that USA game, and it's the quotes are like, well, he hadn't really played there for his club. Maguire's not not playing for his club, but he plays. So yeah. You know, I just... But, yeah, I was feeling exactly the same about uh, Rashford as well when I saw Rashford was starting, who um, has been playing for United, but it's been a little bit up and down, I think, for Rashford. Yeah. He's not playing all the time, is he? No. He's not. No, he's... Well, but, but then... But then Southgate puts faith in Rashford and then he scores... Uh, yeah, and my issue with this is that did he score twice? He scored against that right. Iran and Wales, which which is great because you you can only score against who you're up against. But like, does he start now? Does that does has he done enough to start? Because really, in my eyes, if you're playing against Iran and Wales, I don't think I don't think anyone in that I don't think anyone in that team could do enough. Like, right. If Madison plays, does he not play well? Because he's playing against Iran and Wales. He's playing against lesser opposition that they sh- he should be. like. So I just feel like he got his chance. Yes, yeah. he took his chance. Yes, he did score in both, you know, 
in both games. But the free kick, it's 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 on target and it's well hit. But Danny Ward gets totally done, starts going to the right, doesn't trust his wall, gets done by it. Yeah, I'm, I suppose all of the players who are fr- on the fringe, I just don't feel like you can fairly judge things against the the opposition that there has been. But it's tough because if Madison doesn't play in those games, when does he play? When is he trusted by Southgate? And, and actually, I, I kind of feel like it's a bit like Grealish at the Euros. Grealish sort of mania swept the nation and Southgate wasn't even like... <laughs> Southgate wasn't even playing him. It was the whole... It was the same story coming out all the time, right? It was the same story. Madison wasn't Southgate's pick, I believe. Madison was the media's pick, and I think Southgate let the media have it to keep the media on side because I think he knows how crucial it is. Right? <laughs> this is a major conspiracy. No, no, no. But when I say the media's I... pick, I mean, I don't think he was getting backhanders in the in the post. He wasn't getting... Uh, death threats or he wasn't getting like uh, you know the anonymous newspaper clip- clippings cut up and be like pick Madison or we're going to write terrible articles about you I just think it's like is there going to be a Netflix documentary about this I, I think the thing with Madison I think Southgate's smart in that he knows he has to make certain decisions to shut certain people up and and you know keep I think he's good at squad harmony and I think he's actually quite good at harmony with the media. This is the first like English generation that has that has been well received in the media for since I was probably born, right? Since I was alive and I can remember. And Southgate has done that very well. If he believed in Madison to the point of picking he would have been picked in squads before, right? He wasn't. He wasn't picked in squads before. But his form was so good at the perfect time. And it's a 26-man squad rather than whatever it was before. He can afford to take him. So Madison's stats this season, he's got seven goals and four assists in 13 games. Um, he has been one of the England players with the best out. But also the stats that you just said. Like, like he had to, but he didn't want... I don't think he wanted to. I don't think he... Like, look, maybe, I'm, maybe it's unfair to criticise him for doing something, even though I've, I'm imagining that he didn't want to do it but I just think I just think his hand was forced 26 man squad his form was ridiculous at the time the media were loving him everyone like Gary Lineker's saying like oh what, what can you do what more can he do everyone's saying what more can he do it's so it was so prominent and it was such a elephant in the room and and you know as soon as we draw nil nil to USA and he's not on the plane Everyone's turning around and going, well, that, well, Madison would have done this. Oh, Madison has done that. You can't play badly if you don't play. Do you know what I mean? What are we going to talk about next? Uh, Luis Enrique's Twitch stream, Sam. I haven't seen any of his Twitch streams because I don't speak Spanish, sadly. Uh, but I am very jealous, not only of the talent in the Spanish national team, but also the fact that their coach is a Twitch streamer. And also their coach, to be honest, after all that Southgate slander. But Tell me more, Tim, because I don't know what he does. Is he a VTuber? What's, what's going on? 
so I believe it's after games, or it might be the next day. But essentially, he just goes on there, does a, I think it's just a bit of a Q and A. Uh, I, mean, I assume it's a Q and A because last the last clips I saw, people were asking him what he thinks about football players having sex before games and things like that. Um, but I don't speak Spanish, so I I didn't pick it all up. But I like the I like the idea of the public being able to interview a coach after a game. Okay, I think interviews after games are incredibly stale when interviewers have the opportunity to have a few minutes with some of the greatest footballing minds, well, we've ever seen, right? We've ever come across. And they'll use the time to just ask horrendous questions that, are leading down a pathway to be able to get a headline out of it when in reality I love how I've gone onto this when my example of a question was posed to Luis Enrique was just do you think it's all right for players to have sex before games but but you're (laughs) so it doesn't really uh translate beautifully there but I just think it's a great opportunity I think it's a great I think it's a great um path to go down of having like Q and A's with managers after after football games. I think you'd have a lot more interesting questions. I don't think I don't think um, journalists in the main ask very good questions. I think they ask questions that direct essentially a pre written account of what they've seen. And I just think, yeah, I think it, I think they ask questions to get the headline from. Uh, that they've already got in their mind. They've already got a narrative and they just need some quotes to back that narrative up. Um, yes, I remember Brendan Rodgers talking after one of his Leicester games to uh, Emma Hayes, the Chelsea manager. And uh, just, the, just the level of insight that you'd get from that was like 10 times more than you'd get from a normal post-game interview. Um, it was a little bit awkward sometimes because they were doing it like on a weird live feed and you go go like oh hi it's lee dixon here and then they'd be like oh hi lee and then you can cut yeah. all that out yeah but, um once they actually got into it with the actual they'd be like one pundit they'd have on that would have loads of uh experience or insight and it worked really well footballers aren't presenters yeah and coaches aren't presenters so there may be a lack of smoothness i understand that but i kind of appreciate that more than just this really smooth conversation that isn't about anything. It's about fluff and it's about sort of predetermined narratives and just certain events that happen that ultimately the coach can't do anything about anyway and can't really discuss anyway. You can talk about the coach's plans and and, and maybe reactions within a game. And, you know, similarly to... You, you mentioned Emma Hayes talking directly to... Uh, Brendan Rogers or, or whoever the coach was, but do you, on Prime, on Prime they had Thomas Frank and Graham Potter. They had them both pitch side together, um, doing the pre-match interview together, and it was it was it was fantastic. They said if you could ask, like they had them asking each other questions, and that that is levels ahead of 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 anything I've seen in in like interview fluff it, if it, it just feels like it is interview fluff these days and it doesn't feel like you know you, you had you had thomas frank asking 
Graham Potter, how he views formations and and why he changes formations so often and and things like that. And that shows not only not only is it a fantastic question that leads on to a great answer. And Graham Potter spoke about how he doesn't really see it as formations, he sees it as roles, which a lot of coaches share that view. But, um, you know, that in itself is, is something brilliant. And then also the fact that that's what Thomas Frank, like in, in asking the coach of the opposite team to ask the question, you're kind of showing what the coach is I don't want to say concerned about, but maybe what they've been analysing, what they've been looking at, what they've spent hours trailing through. You know, I just think that's... It, it opens the door both ways, right? Getting the coach to ask the question leads into what they've been thinking about, and also it leads into a much better response. We should we should talk about... Um, we should talk about Japan... So Spain go through on account of their 7-0 dismantling of Costa Rica and Japan yes, top the group. Yes. There's been a lot of shocks at this World Cup. Uh, you might call it a shock, I suppose, that Belgium went out. A shock's fair, isn't it? It is a shock. It is a shock. No one's, no one's claiming Morocco and Croatia go through ahead of them. Like, both teams go through. You know what I mean? They are an old team, but they should have the quality to be better than... Morocco and Croatia, shouldn't they? The, the thing is, before the the World Cup as well is, I was looking at the Croatia team and thinking, are they, are they over the hill? And then it turns out it's Belgium. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting though. Um, if Lukaku's fit, is it different? I suppose is the first big big question. I'm kind of tempted to say no, really, but well, it was a very interesting game for Romelu Lukaku. It, it was bad. It was bad, but not really his fault. Romelu Lukaku hasn't been fit, obviously, recently. Um, hardly played. And at halftime, they brought him on, and it was a lot of pressure on Lukaku. We can say what we want about the Belgium aging squad and things like that, but look, ultimately, I think you've got to be getting out of a group that's got Croatia, who who were arguably, you know, looked at as over the hill and also Morocco, who who Morocco were fantastic, don't get me wrong, but I think Belgium have the quality despite some players being aging, they've got the quality. However, having said all of that, Roberto Martinez's quotes are very interesting uh, in a press conference where he was talking about he was basically challenged on the golden generation saying, "Are oh, they the golden generation, they've not won anything, they've not done this." And he comes out and defends them and says, "Look, okay, so semi-final and he also sort of cited more the players they'd produced and the legacies that they could leave in terms of a coaching influence as well on the world. I mean, that's an interesting perspective, but it's also not one that the vast majority of people will use to measure a golden generation and also one that's yet to be decided. But um, there's no doubt there's a huge amount of quality that has that has come out of Belgium in the past, I suppose, eight eight years, maybe eight to ten years. Um, and it will be interesting to see what some of these fantastic players do maybe in the game later on. It's, it's quite an interesting point to make the claim of, um, well, how do you measure a golden generation? A, a country with a population and, and size as small as Belgium, you know, should they be measured on winning the World Cup if they go and produce a, a fantastic group of players that don't quite make it but do go far? 
Just one couple more things with Belgium is that Wout Fass has been pretty good for Leicester and then didn't get a look in for over two quite old centre-backs uh, in Alderweireld and Vertonghen. And then Dendonka was the other one, not a centre-back. And Kevin De Bruyne has been a little bit disappointing, you'd say, as well, because because of how well he's been playing at Man City, to see him, particularly in that, that first game, he his choice of pass and the actual execution was uh, unfamiliar for De Bruyne. Um, so... We've seen a lot of group stage games now. We've seen giant killings of Germany and Belgium. We've discussed those. Who have you been... I suppose not who are your favourites. Who do you think can go far? And... Or, or who have you enjoyed watching and, and would like to see win, maybe? You know? Really enjoyed watching France. Um... They totally rotated in the last game against Tunisia, so I'm not going to say that's accurate of what they were like, but i um, really Im- impressed with how uh, direct and exciting France were to watch um, against Australia. And the, uh, Brazil are a bit of a weird one. They play tomorrow, but uh, really amazing squad on paper and two wins from two, so they seem to be seem to be going pretty well so far yeah I think they're the they're the big two that everyone looked at pre-tournament that have actually backed it up you know um obviously France yeah look the Tunisia result but the whole team has changed I didn't I didn't even realise Steve Mondonda was in the squad still to be quite honest with you it's been <laughs> Loris and Mondonda for oh I see like 40 like my whole life <laughs> It feels like, anyway. Um, Have you been enjoying any, anyone else? So France and Brazil, the big two. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean Spain, but then Spain started so hot and then they draw and they lose. Um, I would always say it's better to start a tournament slowly and grow into it and play your best football at the right time. Um, now some teams can totally disprove that and just blow teams away for the whole tournament. We see that with, you know, the the Xavi Iniesta era Spain. You could probably even say that with France. I can't, can't quite remember the exact results of, of the World Cup, but they were dominant throughout. But generally, I would say, you know, you don't want to play your best football at the start of the tournament. Um, you, you, need to grow, you need to grow into these things. Just, just thinking about Spain, I feel like a 7-0 win to open it is tough. I mean, it's an incredible luxury to have, but it's tough in how do you back that up, right? 
You win 7-0 to Costa Rica and your next game is Germany. Like, I don't know. You're not going to win 8-0, are you? Well, no, right? So then, yeah, it's going to get smaller. Is that then disappointing? It's not disappointing, but look, if you blow Germany away 5-0, it's not disappointing. It's a bigger result than beating Costa Rica 7-0. But I just think if you start that fast, blitzing the opening team is going to be fantastic for confidence, but can it lay into a lot of hype, a lot of expectation from your country's media within the camp? Do things get sloppy? I'm not I'm not suggesting they don't train hard because of it, but I'm just it's human nature to have some form of I don't know. I, I don't I I'm hesitant to use the term drop off even though they have then dropped off in their results. Um that that's player dependent as well and and you can't judge it. So I'm sort of waffling away about things we'll never be able to measure or, or even understand. But they're still interesting to think about, I suppose. <laughs> okay, so I think that about covers everything for for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week for the round of 16, and we'll see if Brazil live up to expectations. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye.